Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. And this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyer, your host. We begin now the week of weeks, the week of the bridegroom, also called Holy Week or even Great Week. It has several titles because it's such a great week. And it begins, actually, in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, it began yesterday, the Saturday of Lazarus. We call the Saturday before Palm Sunday the Saturday of Lazarus. On that day, we, of course, have that magnificent story of Jesus Christ raising Lazarus from the dead. And that prefigures what's going to happen a week later with Jesus Christ's own resurrection from the dead. But it also prefigures, to an extent, what will happen to us. In other words, the promise, God's plan from the beginning. You see, we have to understand that what we call normal is not really normal. What we call the real world, you know, get with it. Get with the real world. Get into reality. Be real really isn't the real world. Because usually when we make that reference, we're referring to things of a more banal nature, a tougher nature, the harder side of life, the uglier side of life, the painful side of life, death itself. We call all that reality, you know, the drudgery of life. But actually, that's not reality. Reality is what happened before all this drudgery came into being. The drudgery came into being because of sin, was never meant to be. What we call the real world, the tough side of life, was never meant to be. It's what we deal with, but it was never meant to be. It's part of our reality, but it's actually an unreality. We were supposed to be and remain forever as we were at the beginning. Think of the beginning, Genesis, Adam and Eve. Perfect, happy, holy, everything in harmony. And that was supposed to remain that way. And we were to enter into the next life in some form of not death as we know it, but some form of passage, such as we see in the Blessed Mother, when she assumes into heaven body and soul intact, painlessly. No cosmic obscenity of death, as Peter Kreef, a famous Catholic writer, would say. She would go gently. In fact, that's why in the Byzantine Church, we call her passing into eternal life her dormition, almost like a sleep, like a gentle sleep. We don't know exactly how it would be, but we get pretty close to it with the Blessed Mother, because she is the new Eve. She is 
womanhood as it was always meant to be. What interrupted the beginning and our ultimate beautiful destiny is the area that we call so-called reality. It's a reality of sin. But in that reality is precisely where God came into our existence. He incarnated himself in the person of Jesus Christ. St. John Paul II had a very handy way to understand this. He called this the three phases of humanity. The first he called original man, how we were at the beginning. Then historical man, in other words, living in history as we know it, what we would call the real world. And then eschatological, I know it's a big word, but it means how we will be in the next life forever. An original man, an eschatological man, are actually very close. It's in between that becomes the anomaly, becomes the intrusion in the historical man, because that's where sin comes in. But Jesus Christ comes into that reality to redeem it. And that's what this Holy Week is all about, that God comes into the very fallen part of our reality to redeem it, to lift us back up and mount us on the throne of heaven with him, which we'll see after the resurrection in the Feast of the Ascension. So what happens is when Jesus comes across Lazarus, there are a number of things that go on there. And this is the day before Palm Sunday. Jesus is raising Lazarus, and there's a detail in the story, and also in the icon, the Byzantine icon for this story, the detail that he was dead for four days. And Jesus knew this. In fact, his sisters get angry at him. Why didn't you come? You should have come earlier and saved our brother Lazarus. But Jesus let it happen because something greater was going to happen. Jesus was going to show something, anticipate something marvelous. The reason why there's a detail of four days dead, and there's a detail even of that there will be a stench. Remember, that's why they were cautious about Jesus raising him from the dead. And it's also in the icon. They actually show people covering their nose as Lazarus emerges from the tomb. That was to really affirm, let there be no doubt, this man was dead, dead for several days, to the point where he probably would even be already rotting and decaying and smelling. And it's precisely in that that Jesus comes and raises him from the dead. So there's no doubt that he was dead. This is no trick. This is no way well, he was just in a deep sleep and he was woken up. No, the details, it's always in the details. You know, they say the devil's in the details, but actually God is in the details, especially in the scripture. So he raises Lazarus from the dead dead to anticipate what's going to happen to all of us and to hint at what's going to happen to Christ, and also to show that he, in fact, is God. Because nobody ever raised somebody from the dead that was dead for four days. So this raising of Lazarus is a marvelous event. It anticipates the real thing that's going to happen a week later with Jesus Christ himself. So the next day, which is today, Palm Sunday, Jesus Christ comes triumphantly into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, as predicted in the prophets of Zephaniah and Zechariah. We read those and we sing about them. We sing liturgical texts based on their prophecies of the Prince of Peace riding on a colt. See, the donkey was more like a symbol of peace rather than the horse. Horse was a symbol of victory, of military victory. This is a symbol of peace. So Jesus specifically asked for a donkey not for a horse, because he wants to show, he's, again, he's dropping these hints, he's anticipating, I am the Prince of Peace. So he'll come into the city of Jerusalem as the Prince of Peace, anticipating and showing who he is. And it's interesting that the detail says children are waving the palms. So again, he's showing something here. See, it's always it's in the detail. You got to look at the details. This is what makes scripture and iconography, the art of the church, so fascinating. When you really get into it, got to get into the details. Interesting that it's children. Why? Because they would be more innocent and open 
to Christ. They would call out to him, hail Jesus Christ. They would put clothes and cloaks on the ground so that Jesus wouldn't even have to go over the mud with his donkey. And they would wave these palm branches, which are symbols of victory. So the children themselves, through them, Jesus Christ, as he has said, unless you be like little children, because Jesus Christ knew that much of who he was would be seen and expressed through the innocence of children. Now we're going to progress beyond Lazarus and Palm Sunday. Interesting, two days of victory. And these are hints, foreshadowings, what will be the ultimate victory. It's almost like Jesus is telling us, okay, now hang on there. Something like he did during his transfiguration on Mount Tabor when he comes down the mountain. And he tells the apostles, Peter, James, and John, who were with him, he tells them the Son of Man is going to be crucified, but rise up on the third day. Of course, they didn't understand that. But he gave them this wonderful glimpse to prepare them for that dark week, which is this holy week coming up. Well, he's doing the same thing again with Palm Sunday. And by the way, we also call this Flowery Sunday in the Byzantine church with Palm Sunday or Flowery Sunday and the Saturday of Lazarus, two victorious moments, but not complete victories. They're hints at the ultimate victory of his resurrection, of his raising himself from the dead and raising others with him, which is what will be in store for us in the end of time. The hope, though, is that when our bodies and souls are reunited by being raised up from the dead, we will live as an intact, integrated person once again in heavenly bliss with God forever. So now we're going to move on to Monday, Great and Holy Monday. And the theme here is a story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 37. And it's a prefigurement, once again, of Christ's suffering. Remember, Joseph was betrayed by his own brothers. But Joseph turns that betrayal, as did Christ, into redemption, even from the very people that betrayed him. That very, very moving moment when his brothers come to Egypt because there's starvation in the land of Israel. And they come to see Joseph, who's now a leader in Egypt because of his ability to prophesy, to interpret dreams, and just his overall character. They don't recognize Joseph right away. And then when they do, there's this dramatic moment of redemption, of forgiveness between the two of them. Despite the heinous thing that they did to their brother and lying to their father, a great, obvious prefigment of Jesus Christ. And also, in this story, remember Joseph was tempted and tempted by a woman who tried to seduce him, and he runs away, runs away from her, and preserves his purity. Again, prefiguring the purity of Christ, Christ the bridegroom. When we come back, we're going to continue on our day-to-day journey through this week of the bridegroom, this holy week, this great week in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion and to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church. We need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright.
You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $20 or more, which includes shipping and handling to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you You're, you're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian spirituality, and the significance of art in the church. The Tabor Life Institute can arrange for marriage encounters, parish missions, and can help your parish facilitate teen faith formation in either English or Spanish. For Father Loya and other speakers, contact the Tabor Life Institute by writing to taborlife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor spelled T-A-B-O-R, life, at earthlink.net. Welcome back to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. As we walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ through this week of the bridegroom, Holy Week or Great Week. And by the way, I'd like to invite you to my church, not only during all of Holy Week and Pascha. I'd like to invite you, especially on Holy Thursday and on Great and Good Friday. On Holy Thursday, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish in Homer Glen, Illinois, stays open to about 2 o'clock in the morning. And we host what is a beautiful tradition among our Latin-like brethren, and that is the Seven Church Walk, where they visit actually seven churches that evening on Holy Thursday and have adoration or prayer and silence. My church is one of those on the way. And people come by the busloads. And they're given a tour of our church, a little explanation, by the youth of our church. Our church remains open, and you can come and pray and learn about the Eastern churches and how we celebrate this great and holy week. But also, on Good Friday and Great Friday, the church will stay open from morning all the way through to the next morning on Saturday morning. And in the middle of the church will be a tomb, something that, that replicates the tomb of Christ. And in that tomb will be a shroud, a shroud with the body of Christ on it. This is part of our liturgical way of entering into Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus taking the body of Christ down from the cross and laying it in a new virginal tomb. Throughout the night, the church remains open, and we become like the guards, keeping watch at the tomb. The church will remain open all through the night until the next day. Consider coming, spending an hour with our Lord. Remember, as he said to the apostles, could you not spend an hour with me? Spend an hour at the tomb of our Lord, just in silence, meditating upon this dramatic, incredible, unspeakable, indescribable event of God who takes on flesh and even enters into death on the cross and is laid in a tomb, but only to rise on the third day. 
You can find out more about that and our Holy Week schedule by going to our website, byzantinecatholic.com, byzantinecatholic.com. Well, let's continue in the footsteps of Christ. So we had Monday, the theme of Joseph from Genesis 37, a prefigurement of Christ's sufferings, of an innocent person's suffering, but also offering redemption and forgiveness to the very people that made him suffer, that betrayed him. Now, on Tuesday, we celebrate the parable of the ten virgins, and all these things are presented in the liturgical text of the prayers for that day, in the pre-sanctified liturgy, the matins, and so on. This theme of the virgins, each theme, in fact, of Holy Week is carried in the liturgical prayers. So, Tuesday is the parable of the ten virgins. This is from Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 to 26, 2. And it speaks about and reminds us of our readiness for judgment. Remember the ten virgins. There were five who were sleeping on the job, not really vigilant, and there were five who were vigilant. And those who were vigilant met the bridegroom. They had their candles ready to meet the bridegroom. They, they stood vigil, whereas the others did not. And they begged the others, please, please give us some of your light. We want to see the bridegroom. But it was too late. The spirit of vigilance is actually a part of our Christian spirituality. It's something we actually pray for in the liturgy. Specifically, in the Byzantine liturgy, we ask God during the Eucharistic prayer called the Anaphora, we ask God for the spirit of vigilance. It means to stay awake constantly for two reasons. To see the glory of God, to be aware and awake to God's presence, which then should define and motivate how we see and interact with everything in life but also to be vigilant for that snake, that Satan around the corner, wanting to blur our vision, wanting to feed us lies about God, about life, because he is the father of lies. So vigilance is a very important spiritual quality of the Christian life. And the virgins, the, the attentive virgins, the ones who were ready in this gospel story of Matthew 24, they were the ones that we use as an example. Be vigilant, because God is always present, but the evil one's always just around the corner. Now, the third day, Great and Holy Wednesday. This day has the repentant woman who anointed Christ's feet as its main theme. And she is contrasted with the agreement by Judas to betray Christ. In the evening, there's an anointing service. And it's for the healing of soul and body. It's a way of preparing ourselves for the commemoration of the mystical supper. In other words, the institution of the Eucharist the next day, on Holy Thursday. And this is very interesting because the anointing on Holy Wednesday in the Byzantine calendar is the same anointing that is done for the anointing of the sick. And as I mentioned, it's very important to notice this. The anointing always speaks of, especially in the prayers, of healing of body and soul, soul and body. And that healing is the forgiveness of sins. You see, we are psychosomatic beings, which means that what happens to us physically is happening to us psychologically and spiritually and vice versa. Although our body, soul, spirit are separate entities in and of themselves, they can't really be exactly separated in our personhood. They make up an integrated personhood, and so they act together. They kind of all are interdependent on each other. So to heal the body is to heal the soul. Well, we have to remember, sickness came from original sin, because sickness is related to death. Death came from original sin. Therefore, the forgiveness of sins, the spiritual healing, is part of our physical healing. They go hand in hand, interdependent. And so we come forward 
during the presanctified liturgy in the evening on Holy Wednesday, and we are anointed on our senses, you know, hands and eyes and lips and ears. We are anointed totally for the forgiveness of sins and the healing of our soul and body. We also have what's called the bridegroom matins. Now, that's an interesting word, the bridegroom. This is called the week of the bridegroom, because this action by Christ, his, his entire action, from the time he was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary to the time he was born or lived, and now will die on the cross, descend into hell, rise from the dead, that entire thing is best described in the language of the Bible, the language of the church, as a spousal mystery, a nuptial union, in a sense, a marriage. Now, let's face it, God makes us, and that he chooses to love us, to unite with us, and to redeem us, to present us, as it says in Ephesians chapter 5, St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 5, Christ wanted to present to himself a bride who was spotless, without stain or wrinkle or anything of that sort. And that bride, of course, becomes the church. It is us. So this is the week of the bridegroom. It makes such perfect sense. And the themes are in the mountains, in fact, do carry this idea of this nuptial relationship, the bridegroom. Then on Holy Thursday, very rich day, again, bridegroom matins in the morning. But there's four events that happen here, especially at Eastern Catholic cathedrals. We have the washing of the feet, where the bishop actually washes the feet of 12 young men. The institution of the Eucharist, Christ's agony in the garden, and the betrayal of Christ by Judas. Boy, it just gets better and better, doesn't it? And at the Vespers, that's the evening prayer, with the liturgy saying Basil, all this is commemorated. Now, the washing of the feet is done only by the bishop, usually at the cathedral. There's one more thing that the bishop does at the cathedral. He consecrates the holy chrism. It's an urn full of the holy chrism that will be used in the sacrament of chrismation or confirmation. He consecrates that, and then little vials of that are distributed to every parish in the eparchy. And that is how the bishop extends his presence in each parish. And when the priest uses that oil, that chrism, because only the bishop can confirm someone, you know, that second sacrament of initiation, confirmation or chrismation, but he does so vicariously through the priest by giving the priest this consecrated oil. So it's really the bishop through the priest that is consecrating the candidate. Holding a great Friday, another great and rich time. Matins with the reading of the 12 Passion Gospels. It's called 12 because it's Basically, it's 12 readings having to do with every aspect of the Passion as seen in the four Gospels. Then there's the Royal Hours, a penitential service in the afternoon. Then Vespers with liturgy and the procession of the burial shroud that I talked about earlier. And then the singing of the Lamentations of the Mother of God. And for our church, many Eastern churches, the church stays open all night for prayer. And finally, we come to Great and Holy Saturday. There in the morning, the amazing, fantastic Jerusalem Matins, where we commemorate Christ descended to Hades, anticipating the moment where Christ will conquer Satan's power of death and rise out of Hades, taking fallen humanity with him. Oh, it's a dramatic and magnificent service. And also, there's a baptismal theme in the evening, because at this time, we all know, of course, this is the great Easter vigil, the time of baptism, the dying and rising with Christ. What a great time to be baptized, the ultimate time to die and rise with Christ. As we do in the sacrament of baptism, then we're sealed in his life, the life of the Trinity, through holy chrism, holy chrismation. And that becomes completed in the reception of the Eucharist. 
At least that is how it was in the ancient church, and that sequence is still preserved in many Eastern churches. So it's baptism, chrismation, and Eucharist together at the same ceremony, the same service, regardless of age. Sometimes it's called infant communion, but it's really not infant communion, it's just that even infants are included in that sequence. So it doesn't matter what age, what matters is the sequence and the candidate's readiness for that sequence. Baptism, chrismation, and Holy Eucharist. I want to thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit byzantinecatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. This is Father Donald Calloway from the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. As we are in our season of Lent, let us remember that the Lord's love for us is everlasting, that he offers to us a time of grace, a time of prayer, a time of penance, a time of almsgiving, so that we can have transformed hearts, so that we can grow in virtue. Read the scriptures, be a little more devoted in your prayer life, and watch the change and transformation that happens in your heart. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.